0: So we're in these parables where we're doing a series from now through the summer called Parables, and basically we're just dealing with the parables of Jesus. So today what we're going to do is we're going to deal with a grouping of parables. A lot of the parables kind of show up in groupings, and uh, basically this grouping of parables is going to focus in on the spiritual condition of a person before they come to Jesus. And basically uh, the spiritual condition of a person, of all of us, before we knew Jesus or before 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 we trusted in Jesus, was described in the scriptures as lost. Okay, this may sound offensive to a person who doesn't know Jesus and who's not a believer in Christ, but uh, basically the spiritual condition that the scriptures teach about each person before we know Christ is that we're actually spiritually lost. So let me just kind of paint a picture for you. The scene of these parables right now is going to be a group of religious leaders are actually criticizing and challenging Jesus because he's spending time with sinners, okay? Jesus is spending time with sinners. So the religious leaders, they were the holy ones. They were the ones that were teaching everybody, and they looked at Jesus. They criticized him because he was spending time with people who were unholy and unclean. So in Luke chapter 15, it starts off in verse 1. It says this, Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. These were the religious leaders. They grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, so what Jesus does now is instead of just rebuking them, he answers them in three parables. Now, remember, parables are stories that illuminate a spiritual truth, or they're kind of like illustrations. So in these parables, the primary teaching is about how God responds to lost people, how God responds to people that don't know him. The secondary teaching of these three parables is going to be a rebuke of the religious leaders, those very people that were criticizing Jesus for spending time with these sinners or these people that did not know him. And basically, it's it's a rebuke of them for criticizing, but not only that, it's a rebuke of them because they do not have compassion for the people that are lost. So Jesus tells them the first parable. It starts in, in uh, verse 3. These first two parables are actually in the handout that you got, the worship handout, but it says this, so he told them this parable. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, the first question I want to ask you is this. Have you ever lost something? Have you ever lost something in your life? Some of you have lost things maybe 20 years ago, and you still remember. Ah, I remember that I lost that. It bothers you, right, when you lose something. If that something had value, what did you do? If if you had if, if that's something had value, you spent time and you looked for it. Maybe you reported it missing to somebody who could, you know, find it, the authorities or whatever. But you know what? Sometimes if you lose things that have no value, you don't do much, right? I mean if you're at the grocery store and it's a windy day and you open your trunk and a plastic bag flies out and blows away, what do you do? You make the effort to try to get it so nobody thinks you're littering, right? But, you know, it blows away, and you're like, ah, I'm not going to catch up with that. You don't go inside and report it missing. You don't say, oh, I lost a plastic bag. I want to report it missing. If anybody finds it, it's mine. I'll be back later. You don't go hunt for it. You're just like, it's garbage, okay? It's not worth anything. It blew away. Hopefully, the person that finds it throws it away. But if you lose something that has value, you really hunt for it you really look. So when we go back to this parable, this shepherd has a hundred sheep and one is lost. So he leaves the 99 and goes to the one. And some may think at this point, well, that's kind of irresponsible to leave the 99 to just go for the one, but you're actually missing the point because the 99 actually represent those who are found. In other words, those who are spiritually found. They are the believers. The one that is lost is the one that doesn't know God. That's the unbeliever. So basically when this shepherd is going after this one lost sheep, it's going after the one that doesn't know him. It doesn't know him. So basically then the end of the that um, parable, it says when the shepherd comes back with his sheep, there's much rejoicing, just like there's rejoicing in heaven when one person trusts in Jesus. Well, most would agree this shepherd probably represents Jesus, okay? Because Jesus in John chapter 10 actually calls himself the good shepherd. And he actually seeks out those that are lost. That's what Jesus did when he came to this earth. We were all lost in our sin. The scriptures tell us this, we're all sinners in need of a savior. Jesus is that good shepherd that came to save us from our own sin. Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. Jesus rose from the grave to prove that he is God. And Jesus says, all who believe will have eternal life. See, when a person trusts in Christ, the scriptures tell us this, there's rejoicing in heaven. But the first thing that we uh, we have to learn from this grouping of parables is this, that we are all valuable to God. Think about this shepherd, left the 99 for the one. It shows that that one did have extreme value. Each one has extreme value. Now, sometimes in life, You might feel like, you know what, I'm not worth much. Or maybe you have a bunch of failed relationships. Maybe you haven't achieved much. Maybe you've made huge mistakes. Maybe you don't have great relationships with people. Maybe it doesn't even seem like many people care about you. Maybe on this Mother's Day, you're just like, I don't really even like Mother's Day because me and my mom didn't have a good relationship. Maybe you don't feel worth much. But know this, no matter what people say, you are valuable to God. Now next we have another parable, and this one's called the parable of the lost coin. It picks up in verse 8. It says this, or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I have lost. Just so I tell you there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, obviously this parable is very similar to the first because it focuses on something of value being lost. Now, you might know the feeling of losing money. Nobody likes to lose money, but rarely do people say, "Oh, I lost money." Oh, well, I have a few uh, I have a few more dollars. Most people like spend a little time To look for that money. So this woman had 10 coins. She lost one. She didn't say, oh, I have nine more. She said, oh, you know what? Let me figure out where this lost coin is. You don't have to put all the coins together for the coins to have value. Each coin individually has value. Obviously, when you put them all together, it's more value. But each coin individually has value, just like we're all valuable to God something of value, each person individually. But again, we see this concept. When the woman finds this coin, she goes and she rejoices, just as there is rejoicing in heaven when someone believes in Jesus. But there's this interesting detail in this parable. It says this, the woman does this to find the coin. She lights a lamp, sweeps the house, and seeks diligently until she finds it. Now, some have suggested this, that this parable represents the work of the Holy Spirit in our salvation, because the light of the lamp illuminates so the woman can find what she's looking for. Well, do you realize the Holy Spirit illuminates truth in our lives? 1 Corinthians 2.10 says this, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, Do you realize that before you even became a Christian or maybe you're not a Christian yet, maybe you haven't trusted in Jesus and you feel these like kind of promptings or like you're like, oh, you know what, maybe I should go to church or, oh, you know what, maybe I should listen to this. Christian person that's talking to me about the Lord. Oh, you know what? Maybe I should like get myself a Bible and start reading. So these things kind of happen, and some people are like, it was weird. I kind of felt like I should do this or felt like I should do that. Well, you know what? That's the Holy Spirit prompting you, and the Holy Spirit has work in your life and actually leads you to who Jesus is and what he's done. So the next thing we learn about God is that the Holy Spirit actually prompts us to look to God, to help us to understand what we need to understand to give our lives over to him. So now we have these two parables. The first parable represents the work of Jesus, the good shepherd. The second parable represents the work of the Holy Spirit. Now the last parable that we're going to look at is a little longer, but it's the parable of the lost son. Now, if the first one represents the work of Christ, the second one represents the work of the Holy Spirit, do you want to take a wild guess who the third one represents? Okay? It's the work of the Father. It's the work of the Father. Now, the parable of the prodigal son is probably, I would, I would venture to say that I've probably referenced this parable dozens, if not, you know, dozens of times dozens of times, because it's such a beautiful illustration of how God seeks after us and loves us and welcomes us. So in Luke chapter 15, verse 11 through 24, it's not in the handout, but if you just listen, it says this. There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he has divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country, who sent him into the field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will rise and go to my father, and I will say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this son was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and he is found and they began to celebrate. So now, in this parable, we have this father, and we have what they call a prodigal son. Now, prodigal means spending money in a reckless or careless way. So the son, obviously, we see the son treats his father in a very specific way, and it's not good, okay? So let's look, firstly, how first, how this son treats his father. He goes up to his father and says, Hey, Dad, I want my inheritance. Hey, Dad, can you give me what's coming to me? when you die. Tim Keller says on this point, this would be the equivalent of going up to your father and saying, dad, I wish you were dead. Okay. What kind of son does that? To go to his dad and says that, or it's like saying, dad, I don't care about you. I care about your stuff. I care about what I'm getting from you. When we really think about this, In our lost condition, before we knew Christ, this is kind of how we treated God the Father, isn't it? This is kind of how we treated God the Father. This is kind of how lost people treat God the Father. Because guess what? We live our lives spending and using and taking advantage of all the things that he has blessed us with and giving no care or concern for the one who gave it to us. Now, some of you might think if maybe if you're not a believer right now, or maybe some of you think before you were a believer, well, that stuff wasn't from God. I earned it. I worked for that stuff. Let me just tell you what James 1:17 says. It says, every good and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Do you know what that means? That means that Everything that you and I have is a blessing from God. The scriptures actually teach even the unbelievers receive God's common grace. That means that every single person on this earth, all the people in our community, everything they have is only by the blessing of God. And some people don't even acknowledge him. They treat him like, I don't really care if you're alive or if you're dead. So this son went and recklessly spent all that his father had blessed him with on selfish living. After that, after it was all wasted, here's what happened. He turned around and there was nobody there to help him. Some of you might realize that sometimes, you know, the party's great when you have stuff. And then when you have nothing and you turn around, everybody's like, take care. No fun being with you anymore. You're down and out. So what he did was he went and he got himself a job and he was sitting there feeding the pigs and he was so hungry and so down and out, he looked at what the pigs were eating and said, "Mm, that looks good. I want some of that because I'm that hungry. I mean, you got to figure this guy was so down and out because I can't imagine the pigs eating anything that I would want to eat. He was so down and out that he started to do some soul searching. Now, this is common, right? When people are down and out. They're so down and out. They're looking down. They're looking down. And then they realize, I have nowhere to look but up. So it forced him to do this soul searching. The party was over, and there was a mess to clean up. And there was no one around to help. So then he thought, my dad can help. He remembered his dad. He remembered his dad. He thinks of the way his dad even treats the servants in his father's house. He thinks, you know what? I'm out here feeding these pigs. I'm hungry. I'm down and out. If I could just be a servant in my dad's house, that would be so much better than where I am right now. Because in fact, he was probably like, you know, my dad's a good man. My dad has resources. My dad will take care of me, even if I'm not worthy to be called his son. So now we have this son that decides to go home after he's offended his father. There's two notable things and important things that I want to tell you about what happens next. The first is the father's attitude. In verse 20, it says this, While the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion And ran and embraced him and kissed him. Now, think about this for a second. The son did not have the opportunity to actually even say anything to his father yet. The son was far off, and the father saw him and was so happy so willing and so eager to welcome him that he went out there and he embraced him and kissed him. Like that father didn't even know if the son was going to be like, hey dad, can you just give me more money because I'm out and I just want to go do what I was doing before? No, the father's attitude was welcoming. This is God, the father's attitude towards all lost people towards us before we knew him. He was willing to welcome us. Don't ever think like, oh, I've done something so bad that God would never want to welcome me because guess what? He still does want to welcome us. He's waiting for us. He loves us. But the second is the son's attitude. When he saw the father, he said this, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Think about this for a second. We know this son was sorry because that was his attitude. We know this son was sorry. He realized he did wrong. He realized that consequences could come his way. We know he was truly sorry because he actually said, I have sinned against heaven before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. You know, sometimes we don't really know if somebody's sorry, right? I mean, some people are, you know, they, they get caught. So we don't know if they're sorry, okay? We don't know how, if you're a parent, you know this, right? You catch your kid doing something wrong, they're like, sorry, sorry, sorry. You're like, are they really sorry? Well, let's see. If they continue to do the same thing, then we know they probably are. But if they just say they're sorry because they're caught, you know, it's kind of up for debate. Well, this son, he was really sorry. He just said, dad, if I could just come home and live As a servant in your household, he knew his actions could deem him unworthy of being called his father's son. So, what the father does next is a picture of the heavenly celebration there is when someone trusts in Jesus. The father basically said, Hey, let's throw a party. The father owned it all, he had the resources. Most importantly, he cares so much for the son that the son was lost and now he's found. In fact, he said, my son was dead. He just, you know, he he couldn't text his son. Hey, son, how you doing? Okay. He didn't know what the status of his son was, but he was so thankful that his son was alive, that he was willing to throw him the best party. Now, truth be told, spiritually speaking, apart from God, we're all spiritually dead. And now we're alive in Christ when we trust in him. So that's a reason to celebrate. And you think everybody would be happy about that, right? You would think. I mean, I'm happy about that. This is a heartwarming story. You hear this story and you're like, wow, what a great dad. Yeah, the son kind of like got off the rails a little bit and now he's back. That's great. I love this father. I love this story. It's so heartwarming, right? You think everybody would be happy. But there's someone It's actually not. It's actually the older brother. Here's what happens. What happens next is what Jesus does in this grouping of parables is he circles all the way back to the beginning of the chapter. Remember, the main reason these parables were taught were because the religious leaders looked at Jesus and criticized that he was welcoming towards the sinners, towards the non-religious, So the next thing that Jesus really wants to do is not only talk about the rejoicing and the fact that God cares so much and is willing to seek after the lost, he's actually challenging these religious leaders and saying, you need to have compassion on people that are lost. We as believers need to have compassion on people that are lost and need to be happy about the fact that God loves them so much and is willing to go after them. So here's the older brother. Here's what happens with him. Verse 25 in chapter 15, it says, now his older brother, his old, the older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house. He heard the music and dancing and he called to one of the servants and asked, what, what do these things mean? What's going on? And he said to him, "'Your brother has come home, and your father killed the fattened calf "'because he has received him back safe and sound.' "'But he was angry and refused to go in. "'The brother was angry and refused to go in. "'His father came out to him, and he said this, "'and his father answered him, "'Look, these many years,' or the the son said to the father, "'Look, these many years I have served you. "'I have never disobeyed your command, "'yet you never gave me a young goat "'that I might celebrate with my friends.' But when this son of yours came home, who has devoured your property with prostitutes and reckless living, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, the father said to him, Son, you were always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and he is alive. He was lost, and now he's found." So, obviously, we can all put ourselves in the older brother's position, right? If we put ourselves in the older brother's shoes, we could see how this party and warm welcome may be a little upsetting to him. And that perspective is what the religious leaders took when they saw Jesus coming and spending time with sinners. So that's why Jesus said this. He said, listen, you know what? These sinners, these are the people that need me the most, okay? You guys... The religious ones, you know this stuff, okay? You know who I am, or you should. So basically what's happening here is now we have this jealous older brother. He's upset that the father has blessed this younger son, even though the all along the son, the older son, was with the father. So some of you might struggle with this. Some of you might struggle with the blessings of others. So if you're in agreement with the older brother, I want to ask you, leave you with five questions, really, to ask yourself. The first is this. Do you feel good about the fact that you are doing what's right while other people are not? Okay? Not saying you're looking at them like I'm better than them, but you're saying, hey, listen, sometimes people don't do the right thing, but I'm not going to get let that get me off track. I'm actually going to focus in on what I'm supposed to do. The second question is this. Could you have enjoyed and participated in the party? Okay, look at the older brother. He came and he was like, what's the meaning of this party? Well, I'm not going in because it's for my brother. Okay, who does that hurt? I would think it's the older brother, right? Because he's the one sitting in his room and everybody's having a good time. Guess what? He could have joined right in and celebrated and been happy that his brother was back. The third thing is this. Did the father, did your father deprive you of anything? Okay, let's look at this son again. What does the father say? He's like, the whole time you were here, everything that I had was yours. You were in my house. You had a good life. And the fourth is this. Are you happy that your brother came to his senses? Okay, this older brother, you would think that he would be happy that his younger brother was back. Do you know it's a real spiritual problem in your life if you can't look at other people and be happy for them? Do you realize that your true friends are the ones that can be happy for you? When something good happens, when you acquire something, when you get a promotion, when you get a new house or a new car or something, the people that are really your friends are the people that high-five you and say, awesome, I'm happy for you. Those are your true friends, the people that can celebrate with your victories as well. The fifth is this, isn't it the father's right to treat the brother how he wishes? Isn't it God's right? Who are we to ever shake our fist at God? God, why is this person blessed more than me? It's God's right to do what he wants. He is the creator and sustainer of everything and we have spiritual issues if we look at the blessings of others and say, I want that. I'm mad at God because he didn't give me that. And I'm mad at God because he gave that person that and blessed them that way. Isn't it the Father's right? Actually, in Romans, it talks about that. Like, who are we to even question God on things like that? You see, God the Father desires all to come to him. So he sent Jesus to die for us. He gave us the Holy Spirit to help illuminate and understand the truths of his word. And as believers, we should be rejoicing when people turn to him because they are no longer lost, but they're found. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day. We're thankful, Lord, that you love us so much that you are willing to look for us, to find us, Lord, that in our own selves, we were dead and dying in our sins. But you made us alive, and we're thankful for that. I pray, Lord, as believers, that we would look around at the community and realize that there are people that are lost, and we should have compassion on the fact that they're lost. We should be happy when they come to know who you are and what you've done. We should help them by spreading the gospel message to them. So I'm thankful again for this day, for each person that's here. And I'm thankful, Lord, that we could celebrate today as Mother's Day is here. And we just pray, Lord, that your name would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.